I read a story a few years ago about a woman who walked into Walmart and she actually ended up purchasing $2,000 worth of goods. She pushes the cart forward and as she cashier rings things up, she gets to the $2,000 mark. And you would think the lady would pull out a checkbook, she'd pull out a credit card, debit card, maybe even pull out some 20s or 100 to pay for her goods. But she actually pulls out a $1 million bill and she tries to exchange it. For some reason, she was expecting around $998,000 in change to be handed back to her. Well, the customer service manager is called and the cashier and they're discussing it and they end up calling the police on this woman to find out that actually the million-dollar bill was counterfeit. It was fake. The police being very confused, they thought maybe the woman had made a mistake and had exchanged the bill and just didn't really know what she had. But as they began to really investigate and look into her purse, they discovered she had more of these. It's a counterfeit bill. It was easy to identify that once you see a million-dollar bill... The U.S. Mint doesn't make that. We don't print million-dollar bills. So it was easy to discover it's, it's a fake. In our life, when we think about being disciples, oftentimes we don't realize that we're being counterfeit as well. You see, we're all discipling something. All the time in our lives, we're, we're making a choice of, of what is it that we're leading people to. In high school, I was a guy who loved two things. I've got a, uh, that right brain and left brain about myself where I was heavy into athletics, but I also was heavy into the arts. So on Friday night, I could be suiting up and, and making tackles and running down a football field and being cheered on by a couple of hundred people. But also on Thursdays, I could be sitting in a chorus room singing four-part harmony with other people in school. I could be in a drama room at other times acting and, and doing things and singing on stage and even at times dancing if we had to. But I took these two things that I loved so much and not only did I love them in high school, but I actually was a high school referee in the state of Mississippi for several years. Friday nights I would be in my stripes and pants and hat and running down a field, throwing flags. I also, in churches, would play music in a praise band. I was a part of dramas and church culture as well. And again, I took these two things that I loved. And when we started having children, I took the two things that I loved and I poured those into my kids. And so I have one who took the arts side of me, the music and the drama, and he actually can now play several instruments. He actually sings and and, and is a part of a group at Prattville High School. And he also became one of the best actors in the state of Alabama in a competition this past year. I discipled my oldest son into the arts. I took that thing that I loved and I passed that on to him and walked with him and taught him the things that I knew and I watched him go farther than I could with them. With sports, my other son took that in as well and he loves to play sports. He loves to watch Sports Center. He loves to just sit around and talk sports. I took that same love of what I had and I taught it to him and now he's part of a ninth grade football team. He'll be starting on the offensive line, potentially defensive line as well. But I discipled my sons into the things that I loved very much. And that's all it really means to be a disciple, is to take that thing that you love so much that you don't keep it yourself, you pass it on to someone else. You take that wisdom, the knowledge, you pass that along to someone else. In our series right now, we're in Committed. 
And today we're specifically going to talk about what it means to be committed to discipleship. Taking that thing that you love so much and passing it along to someone else. We're going to look at several passages of Scripture. We're going to look at several characters in Scripture who are actually all very much deeply connected to one another by this one term right here, discipleship. And it starts very simple with an introduction to one man named Jesus. So we're going to be looking today in Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Because we're always making disciples of something. Luke reads this way, One day as Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, great crowds pressed in on him to listen to the work of God. He noticed two empty boats at the water's edge, for the fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. Stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, its owner, to push out into the water. So he sat in the boat and taught the crowds from there. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Now go out where it's deeper and let down your nets to catch some fish. Master, Simon replied, We've worked hard all last night and didn't catch a thing. But if you say so, I'll let the nets down again. And this time their nets were so full of fish, they began to tear. A shout for help brought their partners in the other boat, and soon both boats were filled with fish on the verge of sinking. When Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and he said, Oh Lord, please leave me. I'm such a sinful man. For he was all struck by the number of fish they had caught, as were the others with him. His partners, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were also amazed. Jesus replied to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. And as soon as they landed, they left everything and followed Jesus. Peter is, is just a man who's fishing. It's his livelihood, it's his life. And Jesus himself comes down to the Sea of Galilee, expecting to teach a large crowd of people, knows the specific exact spot where he needs to be to preach from sitting inside of a boat to share where, the, where his voice would carry. He didn't have to shout, he didn't have to scream He's sitting in a boat, teaching in a normal voice on this very calm water in the Sea of Galilee. And here is Simon Peter and James and John, and they're just mending their nets. They're very frustrated, tired from a long night of fishing where they caught nothing. And all of a sudden, this carpenter and this teacher of the area steps into their boat and says, push out just a little bit so I can do this work. And Peter obeys. He presses a little bit out just to the shallow water he was very familiar with. And Jesus teaches, and as soon as he's done, he looks at Peter and he says just very simply, I want you to push out farther from the shore. I want you to cast into deeper water. And Peter does this, but again, he's very reluctant. Some, author, some scholars believe that, that as he says the word master, he is saying, hey teacher, I've heard you teach before, I've seen you around, I know you're a teacher, but listen, I'm a fisherman. And I'm going to be respectful and I'm going, to, I'm going to push out because you're a good teacher just to make you feel better about yourself. Some other scholars believe maybe Peter was being a little uh, sarcastic with his master, like you're a carpenter but yet you're telling a fisherman how to do this. So okay, master, I'll do what you say, although I know you're wrong. 
As I read the Scripture, I tend to see it that way. Like, what do you know about being a fisherman? You're just a carpenter or you're just an educated person. You don't fish, but I'll do it. Just, just to make you happy, I'll do that. But as soon as Peter obeys, which is the essence of this passage, as soon as he obeys, he sees a large amount of fish, so big that it is shocking to him. He has to scream for his partners to come in another boat, and they have caught so many fish, they don't know what to do. Essentially, Peter, who is nearly bankrupt in his career, has now hit the jackpot. Everything he's wanted as a fisherman, notoriety, know exactly where the fish are, financial security, popularity, he has it. And it wrecks him. Peter is wrecked over his life, and Jesus invites him into this, a life-changing relationship. He invites him to, to follow Jesus and be his disciple. Not just simply, hey, follow me, receive salvation. He says, I want you to follow me, and I want you to be my disciple. And we see this in the last passage because it says, as soon as they landed, they left everything and followed Jesus. It was a, a physical leaving of everything. Again, Peter is wrecked. Remember, leave me, he says. I'm a sinful man. Sin in the Greek literally means to miss the mark. It is that picture of someone taking a bow and arrow and stretching out and letting go and hitting a target right in the middle. But if you don't hit that part, you hit anything else, you've missed the mark. Where you were aiming for didn't happen. And he is acknowledging this to Jesus. I have missed the mark completely. And Jesus says, don't be afraid. Don't worry about that. So you've been fishing for fish because that's what you know. But guess what? I'm going to teach you to be a fisherman for people. You are going to fish for people is what he says. So as a disciple of Jesus, there's two things we must do. Again, it, it, to be in a life-changing relationship with him, which is exactly what he invited Peter to be a part of, we're going to push out we're going to cast deeper. We're going to do the thing that we think we can't do in the comforts of our job, in the comforts of our home, the comforts of our education, the comforts that we have in life, Jesus is saying, go a little farther than that. Just go a little bit farther than that and see what will happen in your life. So number one, we must be a disciple. Simple enough. We must be a disciple. We must come to that point where we acknowledge in our life, Jesus, I want you. I want your life. I want... Your wisdom, I want your words. Following Jesus means that we become a disciple, number one. But we're going to have to go a little farther than that because Jesus doesn't, again, he doesn't just tell Peter, hey, follow me, receive me. He says, if you do this, I will make you something. So years have passed now. Pentecost happens in Acts chapter 2. This is around 50 days after Passover. It's around 50 days after Jesus had gone to the cross to make sacrifice for all mankind, die for all the sins of the world. The Bible tells us that all the wrath of God was settled on the cross on Jesus. It was done. Jesus declares the term to telestai. It means it is finished. Everything has been accomplished through me. God's design, his plan. And 50 days after that, after the resurrection, Peter has an opportunity to speak. And the Holy Spirit had been let loose. The disciples are in the upper room. And man, just revival begins to happen. 
a movement of God that they had not seen ever before begins to happen. And in Acts 2, verse 14, it says that Peter stepped forward with the 11 apostles. I want you to, to see that clearly. He's doing the thing that Jesus told him he would do. Go out farther. And it says that right there in the passage. He stepped forward with the 11 other apostles and they shouted to the crowd, Listen carefully, all of you, fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem, Make no mistake about this. And Peter continues to go on declaring the glory of Jesus, declaring the truth of who Jesus was to every person there. The Jews and other anyone that was in the area that could hear it. And we know on the account of Scripture there were lots of different nationalities, lots of different tongues that were spoken, languages that were being used. And Peter speaks to all of them, and they all understand. The apostles and disciples are just teaching like crazy. In Acts 2, 22-24, he says, People of Israel, listen, God publicly endorsed Jesus the Nazarene by doing powerful miracles, wonders and signs through him, as you well know. But God knew what would happen, and his prearranged plan was carried out when Jesus was betrayed. With the helps of lawless Gentiles, you nailed him to a cross and killed him. But God released him from the horrors of death and raised him back to life, for death could not keep him. Him in its grip. Peter is continually preaching the truth about Jesus, not only who he was and the miracles he did, but now he's preaching about truth of Jesus on the cross, truth of when Jesus was going to die, truth of Jesus' resurrection to them. Acts 2, Acts 2 38 through 31, 41, excuse me, 38 through 41 reads, And Peter replied, Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of of your sins. Here's the declaration of Jesus. The declaration of, of what He came to do. The declaration of the Gospel. Repent. Be forgiven. Receive salvation. He speaks on and says, Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you, to your children, and to those far away, all who have been called by the Lord our God. Then Peter continued preaching for a long time, strongly urging all of his listeners, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. Those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day, get this, about 3,000 in all. I don't know the number of fish that Peter caught when he dropped his net out of frustration to be obedient to Jesus. Okay, teacher, I'll just throw the net in. But I have a feeling it was probably close to several thousand fish that he could not wrestle back into this boat. Because Jesus continually spent his time foretelling of what would come, what would happen. And he's telling Peter again, you will become a fisher of people. We have this picture right now of Peter doing that same thing. Stepping out, casting into deeper water than he ever has done before, and speaking in front of the largest crowd he'd ever spoken in front of. And 3,000 plus people prayed to receive Christ that day. Peter, who agreed to years prior, I will enter into a personal relationship with you, Jesus. I will yield my job, my comforts, the, the money I have, everything. I will yield that to you, and I will allow you to teach me. I will be your disciple. See, disciples go in action. They take what they've learned, and they go forward and do it. And that's exactly what Peter did. I want you to see this. Because of his obedience and boldness, 3,000 people were saved. His obedience to Jesus... His obedience to follow Jesus, to listen to Jesus, to be taught by Jesus, and his boldness to actually stand and preach the word of the truth that he knew, 3,000 people were saved that day. 
But it leaves, the, the, it leaves Peter and the apostles with this dilemma of what do we do with all these people. It's the same thing that happens today with pastors and churches all across our world. When those receive salvation from Jesus, when they hear the gospel and they respond, we are so excited. But it always poses this question, what do we do with them? And that same question happened with these men as well. And here's what they decided to do. They decided to do the same thing that Jesus did. And what is it that Jesus did with those that he called and accepted to call? He discipled them. Acts 2.42, a very familiar passage, an exciting passage where we see the church form, but it reads this way, All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. These men decided to do the same thing with those that were coming and being saved that Jesus did with them. The apostles themselves would listen to Jesus' teaching. They would take that in. They would watch it happen. They would take it in. They would ponder it. They would ask Jesus questions about it. He would answer them. But that's what they devoted themselves to Jesus' teaching so they knew his words. And so these new believers could trust what the apostles were teaching about Jesus because they had spent time with him. And to fellowship. For three years, Jesus devoted himself to public ministry and to pouring into the lives of those who would follow him. We know much about the 12 men that followed him, but there were others that followed him as well. To the sharing in meals. We have to know that these men at times were poor and didn't have anything, so they had to share. They had to bring things together to eat. And they had a lot of time to eat together because they spent three years together. And to prayer. They spent time with Jesus in prayer. So they took what they knew and they poured it into all these new believers. Exactly the same call that we have on our life to do the same thing with those who come to faith in Jesus. Take what we know and teach to them. That's what it means to be a disciple. So we must make disciples. We have to first be one. Second of all, we have to make disciples exactly what these men did. And I love that in Scripture we, we begin now to see those that would come and those that would follow. Men who would take the teachings of the apostles who were with Jesus themselves. They would apply this in their lives and we would see the church continue to grow and multiply like never before. And there happens to be there's just one guy that now, because Jesus connected himself to Peter, this one guy now is going to connect himself to Peter. and He's going to become a disciple under Peter. In Acts 4, 36, it reads this. For instance, there was Joseph, the one the apostles nicknamed Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. He was from the tribe of Levi and came from the island of Cyprus. So we have this man now, Barnabas, as he's known, because the, the disciples nicknamed him son of encouragement, because this guy just had a joyful spirit about him. He was one you couldn't go and complain to. He was going to make something fun of it. He was one you couldn't just sit there and be negative all the time. He was going to find something positive to bring about it. And because of his joy that he had, they nicknamed him the son of encouragement. Barnabas is just a guy who saw what happened and he believed in Jesus and became a disciple under Peter. After Peter preaches and 3,000 are saved, the revival is breaking out. More people are coming. More house churches are happening. They can't all fit in the temple, so they end up going into homes, and they're just continually discipling nonstop, making new disciples, converts, make disciples, converts, make disciples, just happening over and over and over again. 
And Peter and John at one point are standing in front of the high priest council and they want nothing more than to, to literally shut these two guys up. Quit preaching, quit performing miracles, quit causing a, a ruckus in our town, essentially. And Peter just stands up at one point and says, do you think that God wants us to obey you more than him? We're not going to do it. We're going to continue to obey God. And Barnabas is a guy who literally sees these things happening, and he does exactly what Peter does. He sees Jesus. He sees Jesus because of Peter's life. He saw what happened. He believed in Jesus, and he became a disciple under Peter. He said, I want what you have, man. Teach me. Teaches us this right here. Peter had a dilemma. What do we do? We make disciples. And then Barnabas comes, like second generation disciple. And so here we are. We have to be a disciple. We have to make disciples. And thirdly, we have to do this. We have to keep making disciples. We have to keep teaching. We have to keep taking that thing and going forward with it. Because if we don't ourselves become one that teaches others, then it will stop. Acts 9, 26 and 27 reads this way. When Saul arrived in Jerusalem, he tried to meet with believers, but they were all afraid of him. They did not believe he had truly become a believer. Saul was rising up in what really could be considered the mafia against Christianity. He was very much in favor of Stephen, another disciple, being stoned to death for preaching and teaching and and performing miracles. He had a hand in many churches being burned, many homes being destroyed, Many, again, Christians being killed, murdered. Because he was on a war path to snuff out Christianity. Because, again, of these high priests that wanted it gone. It was not the Jewish way. But we're going to keep reading. Because as Saul becomes converted, he's, on, he's heading down the road with one of his workers. And Jesus himself strikes him down. And he doesn't say, hey, why are you burning churches? Saul, why are you hurting people? He says, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Why are you coming after me? And Saul that day, man, he becomes blind. Several days later, he ends up at a home. He begins being ministered to. And he says, I want this Jesus. I want a personal relationship with Jesus. And I want to be discipled. I want to follow him. And I love how the Bible reads in, here in, in, in Acts 9, 26 and 27. Because again, earlier we had talked about there was a guy named Barnabas. And he wanted to be discipled. And so again, we'll read, When Saul arrived in Jerusalem, he tried to meet with believers, but they were all afraid of him. They did not believe he had truly become a believer. Then Barnabas brought him to the apostles and told them how Saul had seen the Lord on the road to Damascus and how the Lord had spoken to Saul. He also told them how Saul had preached boldly in the name of Jesus in Damascus. Did you hear that transition right there? Then Barnabas. He stepped in. He stepped in to say, hey guys, I know this guy. I'm bringing him to you. I know you don't want to meet him. I know you're afraid of him. He's done a really lot of bad things in his life. But let me tell you, he's changed. He stood up for Saul. He could see the change in Saul's life. Hear me say this. 
as disciples, as true followers of Jesus, when you're being discipled by Jesus, when you're being discipled by someone else, and when you're going out and making disciples, you cannot counterfeit that. When Jesus changes your life, it is changed forever, and you cannot counterfeit that. But it's not enough just to say, I want to follow you. Because Jesus doesn't say, follow me and we're good. He says, follow me and I will make you. Follow me and I will show you. Follow me and I will change your life so much. You're going to be comfortable at home. You're going to be comfortable in your career. You're going to be comfortable in your education. You're going to be comfortable with your friendships. But trust me, that is not what I'm calling you to. I will make you a fisher of people. Then... Barnabas. Barnabas sees this change even so much that he says, hey, I'm, gonna, I'm going to disciple Saul. He spends time leading Saul. He shares wisdom. He shares his life. He shares opportunities. It's not too many. It's about a year later after this that these two men commissioned by the Holy Spirit now leave and go on a, a journey together, a missions journey together. Last week, Pastor Tony was sharing with us and he said, you know, a lot of times I hear guys who say, hey, I'm old and I'm tired and I'm done. And he goes, you know, it's, and I'm talking like guys in their 50s. Who say, well, I've done, I've done church so long, I just, I just think I'm tired, I'm just done. And we see right here, no, we don't stop. We keep going. We keep making disciples because we want the world to change. We want the world to see and find Jesus and find freedom. Look at this connection. Barnabas was a disciple of Peter. And Barnabas spent a year with Paul. The question is, will you just be a Barnabas? Paul, one of the greatest authors of the New Testament, wrote more books in the New Testament than anyone else. We find a lot about how to, to churches should act. We find a lot about discipline. We find a lot about love and encouragement of righteousness. And hanging on to life because of Paul, his conversion. One of the greatest evangelists ever that, I, that I've ever known in my life was a man named Billy Graham. And most people have heard of his name, or his legacy at least. But no one really knows much about the guy who discipled Billy Graham. Much like Barnabas. He's not a guy looking to be flashy. He's not looking for notoriety. He was looking to have a relationship with Jesus so that he could impact someone else's life. And that just brings me to the question, will you be a Barnabas? Will you just accept the call in your life to to be someone who wants a relationship with Jesus but doesn't want to stop there? You want to fish for people. You want to make disciples. So where you say, there's so many things I can't do. Just, listen, I just want to encourage you. Just be a Barnabas. Have that, that incredible life change in your life. But don't be satisfied with that. Because you are meant to make disciples. It's in the Great Commission. That we will, in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, that we will go into all the world and we will baptize and we will teach But the next to the last sentence says, teach the new believers to follow. That is what it means to be a disciple. I told you, 
one of the greatest joys of my life was my kids. Of taking something that I love so much and pouring it into them. And, and for me, it was sports and arts that I could pour into them, that I could see them run with. The greatest joy ever for me and my wife is taking Jesus, the one who gave us salvation, the one who invited us into a personal relationship. He invaded our workspace. He invaded our life. And we took him seriously when he said, hey, if you'll follow me, I will make you. And so now we get the joy of taking something that we love so much. And listen, hear me, people. He loves us so much more. And taking that joy and passing that down to our kids to disciple them, not in sports and in arts, but a disciple of Jesus. That is one of the greatest joys of my life. And then seeing the fruit of what they do, seeing the fruit of Jesus transform their life, I'm telling you, you cannot counterfeit that. It's, it's not like a million-dollar bill where you go, that doesn't exist. And according to Scripture, to be a true follower of Christ, you must be committed to discipleship. Because Jesus never said, follow me and that'll be enough. He says, follow me and I will make you a fisher of people. So we have a few next steps. And number one is quite simple. If you're not following Jesus, you cannot be a disciple. You cannot make something of what you don't have. And Jesus wants to transform your life. And so today, if you say, I, I'm not a follower of Jesus, I've never accepted the free gift of salvation, I want to encourage you right now, wherever you are, to pray that prayer. Whatever prayer is in your heart where you say, Jesus, I want you. I want the gift of salvation that only you can give in my life. And then after salvation, we want you to, we want you to go through believer's baptism. We want you to take that that next step of faith and, and to publicly declare the change that's happened to you. So first, if you're not a follower of Jesus, you cannot be a disciple. We want to encourage you to do that. And secondly, if you are a follower of Jesus, go make disciples. Go and share the news. Don't stop with, hey, I want, I, you need to know about Jesus. You just need to pray to him. He'll change your life. Yes, he can. But for you, he wants to do a little something more. He wants you to not only tell, talk to people about him, to tell of his greatness, but to share his greatness. And we want to be able to help you with that. We have a few tools we want you to use. One is called Pursue God. This is simply a, a tool that we use at Journey to help you share the good news with others. We want you to, to, to it's super simple, it's easy to use. It's as much as this. It's our next step right here. If you can have a conversation, you can make a disciple. If you can just sit down and talk to someone. If you can have conversations about sports and arts and uh, you know Roll Tide and War Eagle, you can have conversations based on those things. You can in, infuse the gospel into a conversation as well. Pursue God is one of those things that will help you do that. And we want nothing more than to help you step into that area of life, step into disciple making so that you can do that. And we do this another three ways. By engaging, establishing, and empowering. We want to engage people right where they are. Remember, Jesus stepped into Peter's world 
He stepped right into his boat, right into his job, and had a conversation with him. We want to establish people in the faith. We want to establish people to be able to read the Bible, not just read it, but understand it. They need to be able to ask questions, and you can answer those. They need to be able to understand what it means to pray, to talk to God, but not only just talk to Him, but listen. So we want to help people be established in their faith and then empowered. Man, what would it look like for you to be an empowered believer that could go and share with someone else? I say it would look like this. You agree to be a disciple, you want to be discipled, and you want to go and make disciples. That's what it means to be empowered. And that is what we're wanting you to do. My prayer today is that you will... Take the word in. You will ask yourself two questions. Am I a follower of Jesus? You have to answer that question first. And secondly, if you are a follower, who are you making into a disciple? Who are you teaching to follow Jesus? Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We thank you for today. We pray by your name alone, God, that you would take this message and let it go forward. God, that you would teach us what it means to press out farther than we've been before, to cast into deeper water than we ever have before, and to pull in, God, that which you would have for us, a a net overflowing to the point where we would need help. God, a net overflowing, it would blow our minds away. Lord Jesus, teach us to have your vision, your heart for the lost, your heart for a world to turn to you, your heart, Jesus, for a church to disciple and to make other followers of you so that they can go forward and continue making disciples. I pray that we take the example of Peter, of Barnabas, and of Paul and to all be connected to you, Lord Jesus. We pray this in your precious name. Amen. Man, what a great message and a powerful message and a challenge to you and I to be disciple makers. We're so thankful for the staff that we have here. Pastor Brandon has a heart discipleship and he has a heart to see people grow spiritually and uh, man I'm so thankful for him teaching today and uh, what a great challenge to us to be about the business that Jesus commissioned us to do and that's to make disciples and so prayerfully you know you're thinking about you know who can you invest in how can you grow as a disciple and maybe for some of you today you made a decision and if you made a decision today we want to know so that we can walk with you and we can begin that discipleship process with you and so the whole thing is for us to be able to invest in you, to be able to walk with you, to be able to pray with you. And uh, so we would love to be able to do that. And so if you would, if you could just text my decision to 94,000, just text that, my decision today, my decision to 94,000, that gives us a way to connect with you. It gives you an opportunity to go public with your decision. And then it gives us a way to kind of walk with you and begin that process of making a disciple. And so we would love for you to be, be, uh, be willing to share that with us. We want to walk with you. We want to pray with you. We want to put a Bible in your hand if you need it. But if you made a decision today, I'm just telling you, it's the most important decision you'll ever make. Our decision with what we do with Christ affects every other decision. It affects how we live our life. It affects uh, who we will marry if you're not married yet. And it'll affect how you treat those that you're married to now whenever you put your faith in Christ. So we're excited about that decision that you've made today. You know, one of the things that we do at this time is we, we, uh, we take the time to bring and return God's tithes and to give an offering. An offering is anything above that tithe. And, and I want to say this to you. If you're a first-time guest, you're watching for the first time, don't feel obligated to do that. But if you're a member or if you're a believer and you don't have a church home, you know, that's part of our responsibility is to invest in the kingdom and, uh, and that part of that goes towards us making disciples, being able to buy Bibles to give away, being able to provide Bibles in other lands. 
even the, yes, just yesterday, I saw where Andre DeVries, one of our friends and a guy that we invest in in Africa with Africa for Jesus, was talking about all that God is doing there. And so those are some of the churches that you know, we get to invest in, some of the ministries that we get to invest in. All of that comes from when we return God's tithe and uh, our offering. And so if you would... Uh, just take the time now. You can do it online, and uh, we would love for you to do that. You can go to MyJourneyChurch.com to be able to do anything like that that you want to do. Most of our information is there at our website, and uh, we would love for you to be a part of that. So let's pray for the offering. Father, I thank you for today, and God, I thank you that we get to partner with so many different ministries and so many different churches, and uh, God, even planning churches, expanding your kingdom. God, I thank you that we get to be a part of that. And God, I thank you for our church being so faithful through this pandemic and through this this whole 2020, God, it's just been amazing to see our church family being faithful and, Lord Father, being committed. Lord Father, we talk about being committed to things. They've been committed to honoring you in that way. And so, God, I pray that you would bless this offering and use it for your purposes and for your kingdom. And, God, again, thank you for the privilege of being a part of it. In Jesus' name, amen. There's a couple other things I want you to do. Next Sunday, uh, you know, if you would, go ahead and register now for next Sunday. You know, we, we've been asking people to register just so that we've got enough seats and that we can plan the services in a way that we've got enough space, but we would love to do, uh, for you to do that so that we can do a good job of making sure it's the best possible environment. But thank you for joining us today. We look forward to seeing you next week.